Hey guys, remember that time Stonewall Jackson got shot while praying? that time in historical podcast i'm your host anna webb and i'm your host amanda webb this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all of their favorite moments in history and this week we have a special guest host it's different it's different my great friend caitlin ware is here hello caitlin hey glad to be here oh we're so excited we're gonna get ridiculous <laughs> yes caitlin and amanda went to school together went to college together that's mm-hmm. uh how we now know and love our dear friend caitlin. <laughs> so we're really excited yeah um but before we get into the topic would you like a drink update obviously fabulous i'm having red wine because it's been a long week and i deserve it <laughs> <laughs> At time of recording, listeners, it has been an extremely long week for me personally. Yes, it has. Yes, Anna's <laughs> had a week. And I've had a day. Oh, I've had a day. Um, and so I'm drinking water. <laughs> Caitlin? Caitlin, what you got? I think it's appropriate to tonight, to tonight's topic. Um, it's Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> a very simple but preferred beverage. What's the flavor? It is hard black cherry. Oh, so really not too appropriate to tonight, but I'm gonna count it. Cough syrup, but delicious <laughs> cough syrup. Delicious <laughs> cough syrup. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's just I. Oh, I just can't take Mike's hard lemonade seriously. I mean, who can? It's I mean, Mike's hard either. lemonade. Yeah, I mean, I can't either. But eh, you know, it just made me think of that bit in Trail to Oregon. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Mike's hearts. Oh no. <laughs> Cheryl Oregon is the only Star Kid musical that Caitlin has seen. <laughs> and it's fantastic. It's so good. Guys, listen, you know we love our Star Kid here on this yes. podcast. But yes, if you have do. not seen Trail to Oregon, first of all, you're going to be pretty confused just by all of it. But also, <laughs> you really should watch it. Uh, it's on YouTube. But there is a bit in it where they're like at a bar and a saloon or whatever and they, they like bring get out of these they can get five mike's hard lemonade yeah. <laughs> don't they ask like the, doesn't the younger one go like i'm a kid can i drink this and they're like yeah it, you'll be fine yeah it's fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's 100 what happens oh Lord. kids should not drink that i'm not endorsing it it was a no. joke in the show i would never say that <laughs> <laughs> just gotta be very clear <laughs> all, right. all right well Let's get into it. Caitlin, bring it in. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about Stonewall Jackson. Oh, boy. Um, The man, the myth, the limits. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the reason we're going to talk about him tonight is it's the anniversary of his death um, coming up soon, May 10th. Which will be after you hear this, but before... No, no, no. Before... (laughs) Wait. This episode comes out... (laughs) After the anniversary of his death. We we're are reco- recording it before the anniversary of his yes. death. Wow. We're recording a little bit early for this one, you guys. So we're a little bit off of our like normal routine. So we, I, I'm just a little crazed right now. So yeah, I'm same. so sorry. There's, the energy is about to be a lot. It is about yeah. to be a lot, in fact. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the anniversary of his death is on May 10th. Um, so I think it's appropriate to talk about him this month. Sure. Um, 
He's a, you know, Confederate military legend. But uh, I want to make it very clear that we are not going to glorify him at oh, all no, no. tonight. In fact, we are going to very much humanize We're him. We're about to roast this man. We're going to <laughs> roast Jackson tonight. Listen, um, Caitlin, I have done an episode on Rasputin. I don't think that we are strangers to talking about terrible people on yeah. this show. Yeah. Like, we're not here to praise every person we talk about. In fact, we love to drag people through the mud on this show. <laughs> we're messy. Henry, Henry VIII? Oh, forget it. <laughs> I told Amanda, I said, you know, we're going to speak a little ill of the dead. And she said, oh, we speak much ill of the dead. Yeah, all the time on this podcast. <laughs> it's Stonewall Jackson. I think it'll be okay to speak yeah. ill of him. He's not a good person. <laughs> no, no, he really wasn't. Um, and so uh, we're going to use kind of two... Uh, sources primarily tonight it'll be the life and campaigns of lieutenant general tj i hate calling him tj <laughs> foul, That's like, super that weird. foul but the the title of the book is tj stonewall jackson by robert l dabney and our other book is going to be rebel yell um by sc gwen and um both of those are you know very highly revered books on mm-hmm. the topic of jackson so we're, we're going to kind of center a lot of tonight's topic on that so if you want to learn more those are good sources those are great sources for your notes are so much more professional than anything amanda and i have ever put together i know but you also should have seen them last week (laughs) (laughs) they were terrifying i had full citations it's fine she did oh my god that's so funny so uh yeah so let's just start off with um the you know the life of stonewall jackson um he was born in Clarksburg, West Virginia in 1824, and he was orphaned at a young age. And I want to throw in a couple fun quizzes tonight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because this just sounds so fun. So wow, okay. <laughs> I did not know that I was going to be tested. I'm really bad at tests. <laughs> okay, I'm sweating. Okay. Oh my God, I can't wait. So, what four present day West Virginia towns shaped Jackson's childhood? Oh my god. Do you god. have options or are we just guessing? If you could just guess four towns in West Virginia that okay. shaped his childhood. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going with Clarksburg. Mm-hmm. Obvious choice. Um, <sighs> wow, okay. I'm trying to decide if it would be towns near Clarksburg yeah. or because I'm trying not to like look at the notes because I yeah. am following <laughs> along, but I don't want to cheat. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just going to go for Buchanan since it's close. Sure. Love that. Um, Elkins, also close. Great. <laughs> and. Wheeling? I mean, that's pretty important yeah. to the Civil War in West Virginia. Yeah. Okay, great. That, those okay. are our answers. You know, those are actually, I mean, they, they actually influence a lot of his family's life. And those okay. are very close. I'll take so, it. Yes. <laughs> um, so Thomas Jackson was born in Clarksburg. He moved to Anstead, that's southeast of Charleston. I would have never got that. After his widowed mother uh, remarries. And then with no money left, his mother sends him to live in Weston at the family mill. I was close. We yes. were close. Weston and Buchanan yes. are neighbors if you're not from West Virginia, friends. Yeah. Yes, they are all very close. Um, yeah. And your other one was fairly close as well. Um, his sister was sent to live in Parkersburg. Hey! Oh, that's right next to our hometown. We should have known that. <laughs> we should have known that. Yeah. We, so he, Wow, he we really should have to... known that. <laughs> Yikes. So he, he lives a, a mostly bachelor life when he gets sent to um, the Weston Family Mill. Um, his six bachelor uncles from ages 10 to 29. Oh, my God. Um, a step-grandmother and her two adult daughters 
essentially raised Jackson from a very, very young age. So he just lives with a bunch of unmarried just people. Just a bunch of unmarried people. Good. Like, <laughs> a load of them. Good for him. And by the standards of Lewis County, they were rich. Um, they owned a lar- the largest sawmill in the area, as well as a grain mill, carpenter, and blacksmith shops, housing for dozens of slaves, and a general store. I would call that rich, yes. Yeah, that's pretty rich. Jackson grew up working the land, racing horses, and overseeing labor. Sometimes Tom crossed the nearby river to rest alone there beneath the shady poplars and maples. I hate that you just called him Tom. (laughs) I also hate that, like, most of the books, when they refer to young Jackson, call him Tom. They do not call him Thomas, and I also- Tommy Boy really loved his poplar trees (laughs) and owning other human beings. What a charming childhood. Tommy had. Oh. Also, Justin. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm showing no mercy to this man from the start. Really just FYI. Good, good, good. Also, just in this moment, I realized how similar Caitlin and I's laughs sound, and it kind of scared me. <laughs> you did both have a moment where you got silent at the exact same time because you were like you couldn't breathe while you were laughing. Yeah, we spend too much time together. <laughs> anyway. Well, at the age of 12, when his two aunts marry and his step-grandmother dies, it is determined that he should be raised in a more suitable, less bachelor establishment and is sent to live in Clarksburg again. Now, folks, we we are going to dive into the very awkward, very strange man that is Thomas Jackson. (laughs) And, I mean, I feel bad for the kid. He is an orphan. He's been sent to move multiple times now at a very young age. But when he gets sent to live in Clarksburg after his, um, the, the women in his life pass away, he decides he hates it and he walks 18 miles <laughs> back to Jackson's Mill in Lewis County. He walked 18 miles and he just kept going from house to house, uh, like of his relatives and saying, I do not like him. I will not go back to him. <laughs> But, like, said it like that. What? I do not like him, Sam I am. I will not go back there. <laughs> like, what? And who is this? It, and, I mean, it's just going to get a little strange. It's just going to get stranger. Um, so we're going to dive into Jackson's romantic relationships. Oh, minute. God. Nervous. Oh, boy. So Ellie let, me get, Junkin- let me just get my wine. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Junkin was the daughter of the prominent Presbyterian theologian, George Junkin, who was the president of Washington College, now Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. And Anna, I'm going to have you read a passage from um, the book Rebel Yell about um, the strange relationship that um, surrounded his first marriage. So, um, Tom, Tom, Tom... I despise it. <laughs> the Thank aging, you. the aging, Tommy J. The now aging Tom, TJ, TJ, um, has fallen in love with Ellie, and he does not know it um, because he's just a sociopath or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's we fair. really are not holding that. And he, um, he just is not aware of it, and his friends have to tell him. Yeah, yeah, you're in love with oh her. Oh my god! And he goes, "Oh, I suppose I am." And nice. um, they end up getting engaged. And I mean, the relationship between Ellie and Thomas and um, Ellie's father is really positive, but his their the relationship 
with Maggie, Ellie's sister, goes awry because Ellie and Maggie are super close and she does not want her sister to go off and get married and she's actually kind of a little in love with Jackson. Oh, oh boy. The drama. Oh, and boy. so she writes this um, letter to Jackson, or sorry, writes this letter to Ellie requesting that she like not get married and kind of tells how jealous she is. So Anna, would you read this? Um, if you have never listened to this podcast before, um, <laughs> I'm Anna, about to do something weird. Basically, Anna does a wonderful impression of the way that they read Civil War letters in documentaries. And I like to call it the Ken Burns Civil War voice. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. See, I discovered this talent of hers. I think discussing Cold Mountain, maybe. I can't remember. And I just want her to read every Civil War letter ever. <laughs> And so as many times as I have that opportunity, You're I will take, take it. it. Yep. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I am reading this cold, so sorry if I trip up, but. <clears throat> Tis but the common work of time to mar our household so. And I must learn to choke the sob and smile to see them go. Oh, my God. Forever these saddened strains, Ellie. Forgive these eyes so dim. <laughs> I must, must love whom you have loved. So I will turn to him and clasping with a silent touch whose tenderness endears your hand and his between my own. I bless them with my tears. So I'm going to say she's a little bitter. Like she's a little jealous about this, but I mean, she's, she's going to go along with the marriage. And so she follows this poem up and I should, you know, I should state that like, she's a pretty widely read and well, you know, published author. Is Um, she? She is. And so um, she actually was like kind of literary friends with Robert Browning, Lord Tennyson, um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and Christina Rossetti. Dang! Okay, all the hits. Yeah, all the hits. Wow. Like, she's kind of renowned. Uh, I mean, you can tell that was a well written poem. Like, you can tell that she was a writer. Yeah. And so, um, Anna, would you like to follow up with um, the letter that followed this poem? Yes, I would. Well, it keeps changing direction on my screen. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I will try to fling from me the intensely painful idea that anything shall ever divide me from you. I have been very wrong to let this idea gain so deep a seat in my mind, but it was because I sincerely believed it. Now it shall not be. However, I may be of the opinion that you will not need me so much. If you become a wife, I will not abate one jot of my need for you and my clinging to you. I will endeavor to keep in check my selfishness, and I find a pure pleasure in your new happiness and prospects. And instead of not liking the major because he does the same thing I do, i.e. believes you necessary to his happiness, I will try to make that a very reason for liking him better. Well done. <clears throat> Thank you. Well done. <laughs> that was my audition for any Civil War related documentary (laughs) 
You've got it. You've booked it. Voiceover artist. Great. Thanks. And so, I, I mean, Ellie had called off this engagement oh, wow. uh, be, because Maggie had talked her down so much. Mm-hmm. And Jackson actually said, I think it probable that I shall become a missionary and die in a foreign land. <laughs> oh, my God. If only he had. <laughs> the world would be different. <laughs> do it. I dare you. <laughs> but, Please. But Maggie relents and they get married. Oh, my um, gosh. And, you know, Jackson goes on later in his life to say Ellie was the greatest source of his Christian fervor. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, in 1853, he wed Eleanor Junkin and Ellie died a year later in childbirth and their son was stillborn. Oh, my up oh, Here we go. All right. It's getting sad. <laughs> here we After go. After all of that, they finally get married mm-hmm. for a year. That yeah. is terrible. Mm-hmm. Again, he's a bad person, but that sucks. I mean, I feel bad for her. Yeah, for real. Yeah, they they were not wed long. Um, and, and so in 1857, he um, gets married to Mary Anna Morrison, the daughter of yet another Presbyterian. And she bore a daughter who also died soon after being born. Oh. He would remain married to her for the rest of his life. Do they ever have any other children? They they will. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, good. They will. Um, and so on to a highly unusual man. I love <laughs> labeled all of these. I know there are sections, sections in these notes. I love it. <laughs> so um, I I had this picture pulled up, and it's it, it's um, right in the middle of Rebel Yell, and it's just got pictures from him at various points in his life. Okay, so now he's married to Mariana, and. Um, he will go on to uh, be a professor at the Virginia Military Institute. We'll talk about that in a second. I want to show you, Amanda. I know the listeners can't see this. Uh-huh. But I need you to see a picture of the man at this time. Oh, boy. How would you describe that picture? I think he looks like a puppet. <laughs> he does look like a Do you see like what I'm saying? Puppet. I think he looks like a puppet. <laughs> It's his, something about his facial hair. He looks like an old, old, dusty puppet. I'm going to be honest. I got, like, Wolverine and the Origins vibe. Oh, my gosh, yes! (laughs) Like, he's got, like, the side chops and nothing on the chin. such different description. But it, like, meets his mouth? (laughs) But it meets his mouth. Both are accurate, though. Oofa doofa. And so I, I wanted to um, just give you an actual picture of Jackson I'm before. I'm sure you could find that image online. Oh, yeah. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, it, it is right as he's becoming a professor um, at VMI. So if you're interested in that, you can look that up. But okay. so I'm going to read straight from um, the Rebel Yell book. And um, this comes from chapter 12. And it is literally called A Highly Unusual Man. Excellent. <laughs> When Major Thomas J. Jackson, known to most of his friends as Tom, reported for duty at VMI on August 13, 1851, he was 27 years old. By most accounts and photographic evidence, if not exactly handsome, he was a reasonably good-looking young man. He was tall at just under six feet. He was nearly five inches taller than the average American male of the era. He weighed about 170 pounds. He wore medium brown hair. He wore, he wore his medium brown hair short in the military style of the day and sported side whiskers that extended nearly to the bottom of his chin. <laughs> Another army affectation. He had a wide forehead, a sharply defined aquiline nose, a small firm mouth, and, a str- and strikingly transparent gray-blue eyes. 
When he walked onto the campus of VMI to watch a cadet parade and drill, he wore his very best outfit, a double-breasted blue frock coat, tapered, tapered white pantaloons, immaculate white gloves, a new kepi cap, and artillery boots, all in the very young in the very picture of a young West Point graduate and, milita- and Mexican-American war hero about to assume an important professorship. Except that none of it quite worked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Quite a turn in tone. Yeah. The kepi, for one thing, was oddly positioned, pushed a bit too far forward, so that instead of looking jaunty or stylish, it seemed somehow awkward. And even casual observers could not miss Jackson's newly blacked boots. Worn outside his pantaloons, they were both enormous and highly visible. One could only speculate, and many did, on the size of the feet they must have housed. (laughs) Wow! Well, you know what they say. Oh, yikes! Just gonna leave it at that. When he walked in those unnaturally long strides that reminded one of his friends of a dismounted horseman, the gigantic boots were even more noticeable. Even among the large crowd that had assembled to watch a cadet, Jackson stood out. Boom! Roasted! Wow. That was a lot of information. And while you were reading that, Amanda was putting on... The like, kepi that you brought me. The kepi that you brought to her and trying to emulate what it was you were describing. And I was trying really hard not to, like, cry laugh in the middle of you reading that. <laughs> Just put it down as low as I physically the, can. The union kepi prop. Um, <laughs> prop one wow. of a thousand. Prop, prop one of the night. Yeah. Um, Kaylin is the type of person who's so organized that she brings props to an audio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's correct. That is so accurate. <laughs> Well, to continue on the the chapter, it reads, To people who met him socially, his most striking trait was his silence. Where others might (laughs) expect a minimum of social chatter, a casual comment, a piece of uh, of common small talk about the weather, or small de rigueur politeness, he was often determinedly quiet. You know what's great about, you know what's great about old Tommy boy over there? He keeps his dang mouth shut. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Yeah, for now. When he did speak, he could be maddeningly literal. (laughs) That sounds right. That does not surprise me. Yeah. When someone used the term, you know, in casual conversation, again, as a mere figure of speech, Jackson would frequently interrupt to say, I do not know. Oh, so he's my least favorite type of person. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) He refused to go Do you mean may I? (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. He refused to go along with the most routine conventions of everyday conversation. He would not say that he wished that any circumstance was different than it was, meaning he could not bring himself to wish that it were warmer or less windy. Oh my god! Or even that some accident had not happened. If someone said, don't you wish it might stop raining, he would reply with a quiet smile, yes, if the maker of the weather thinks it best. Oh my god! Oh, for the love of god, he sounds exhausting. That's, that's a robot. That's he a sounds exa- He sounds exhausting. Yeah. Thus instantly <laughs> killing the conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah. Clearly. He would not acknowledge that he envied anyone for any reason. He would not engage in flattery of any kind, even to give an idle compliment to a host. He absolutely refused to judge people or to say anything derogatory about them, even when badgered to do so. Boring. I mean, that's kind of a... Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of a good trait, but like... Boring. I mean, he's yeah, He's very rigid. Yeah. Um, Ew. <laughs> one of his favorite books was George George Winifred Hervey's 
George Winifred Harvey. I, I don't know. Just keep tracking. Hey! Wait, hey, 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 initiated. Caitlin One mispronounced a name. Welcome. One of us. <laughs> yeah. We can't pronounce anything on this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to it. Um, one of his favorite books was George Winifred Harvey's The Principles of Courtesy, which laid of down specific behavioral rules under such rubrics as humility, gravity, salutations, gentleness, deportment in the street, and deportment at church. That's the kind of person who so thoroughly doesn't understand social interactions that he had to read a book about it. I mean, <laughs> I mean you also are like that, to be fair. I but... also like that, to be fair. <laughs> Um, yeah, always intent on improving himself, Jackson had compiled while a student at West Point a lengthy list of sayings, aphorisms, and aphorisms, and proverbs under three categories, rules for conversation, choice of friends, and general principles. Oh He's the type of person that brings note cards to a first date. Yeah, <laughs> very much that. And and so I'll skip over reading this section, but it goes on to talk about, like, he's so intent on improving himself he knows that he is like painfully bad at giving public speeches and so he says i'm gonna join a debate team and i'm gonna learn this but like he was so bad they literally published it in the paper like they (laughs) literally wrote a paper about how bad this speech was oh my god um that's so funny And it goes on to say, like, when his turn came, he would stand and begin to speak, seem to lose himself in confusion, and then stop abruptly. After a pause, he would resume speaking, continue haltingly for a while, then finally stop altogether, sometimes in mid-sentence. And then he would go on, like, to sit down. But then he felt bad that he wasn't good at it, so he would get up and do it again with the same results. Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) painful. Painful. There were other idiosyncrasies, too. So many that they were difficult to keep track of. Though he was devoutly religious and dutifully went to church several times a week, he was also famous for falling asleep during the service. He did this at almost every service, usually during the sermon. because he (laughs) (laughs) But this is because he insisted on sitting perfectly erect in his pew the moment... That sleep overtook him was a dramatic one, and he suddenly tilted to one side. Oh my god! Okay, so was he was he sleeping or was he passing out from lack of blood circulation? Highly, possible. I mean, that's highly possible. It I says mean- that like he uh, he would sit like bolt upright, no matter oh. where he was. He never crossed his legs. He never allowed his back to touch a chair. Can't relate. He's a caricature. Like, every caricature we have of, like, the, like, very strict military man, like, in and out of the war comes from this man, I'm pretty sure. Because, my (laughs) God. There there were the same friends who had to endure him standing up during their visits. Um, Can you imagine? Come into my home. Sit. Enjoy yourself. I will stand. And he said it it helped his- That's Dwight Schrute level. That's Dwight Schrute. That's what that is. He said it helped his elementary canal to stay straight. Oh, Oh, I really want to curse right now, but we don't curse on this podcast. So no matter what was happening or what interesting or momentous conversation was underway, Major Jackson would rise and leave without fail at 9 p.m. <laughs> oh. oh, this sounds like such a boring life. This sounds like a boring way to lead your life. Yeah. This does not sound fun. But, but so fun for everyone around you to just... I guess, or just exhausting. I don't yeah. want that guy around. Get out of here. He's not fun. I'm not inviting him to my dinner parties. I wasn't ready for this book to roast him this hard. 
I also wasn't. I mean, this is like a whole like very thick book about this man, and they kind of yeah. This is going to be a long one just because of all the amount of time we're spending roasting him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, kind of finishing up on this chapter, there it says to many of Jackson's to many of Jackson's to many of Jackson's acquaintances, the oddest thing of all about him was his obsession with his health. He sought water cures or hydrotherapy. Oh, we've had a lot of conversations about hydrotherapy on this podcast. <laughs> he sought water cures of hydrotherapy from Massachusetts to Western Virginia, usually at Mineral Springs where he could spend weeks at a time taking cold water baths and drinking the waters. He visited such establishments 14 times during the course of his life and invariably claimed they gave him some relief. As part of the water cure, he sometimes wore wet shirts next to his body. Uh, he also strictly <laughs> regulated his diet, sometimes adhering to a regimen of stale bread and cold water, eating meat less than once a month. He once spent a summer eating mostly fresh buttermilk and cornbread. Uh, <laughs> Amanda's having a really visceral reaction to this. I know, I don't know what to do with myself. I like feel uncomfortable sitting here. <laughs> Then there were the stories that had passed into legend, many of which were recalled long after the war and may be apocryphal. During his early military service, according to a man who was in his class at West Point, Jackson became convinced that one of his legs was bigger than the other. Oh, for the love of God. (laughs) And that one of his arms was likewise unduly heavy. Oh my God. He had acquired the habit of raising the heavy arm straight up so that, as he said, the blood would run back into the body and lighten it. (laughs) (sighs) I don't know what to do about this man. And I mean, he did suffer from some very real um, health issues, from some eye issues to some stomach issues, but he was overwhelmingly known as a hypochondriac. Well, clearly. Yeah. And so, in all of these stories, amusing and otherwise, there is Jackson's terrible earnestness, his profound seriousness of purpose, his unashamed, unflagging persistence in fulfilling that purpose. Though Jackson was in no sense naive, there is a simplicity and a purity about him, almost a sweetness seen from the perspective of 160 years, that belies portrayals of him as nothing but an oddball and a crank and a dour one at that. His behavior was never mean-spirited, never sullen or gloomy, and he rarely indulged in a bad mood. Though he was stern, he was always polite and always, almost always pleasant to those around him. People who did not know him well could not guess that his reticence in social situations grew from deeply held Christian principles. They could not yes. understand that his often pathetic yet ultimately successful attempts at public speaking rose from personal principle and a conviction that he could overcome obstacles by sheer force of will. Thus he remained, for most people in Lexington in his early years there, a man imprisoned in the elaborate, codified, and highly idiosyncratic personality he had created for himself. That's a good way to put it. Oh, wow. That was a lot. That (laughs) That was so much. Wow. I just, I had to dive into that. I just, (laughs) there's so, like, you have to, like, envision this man. It helps create the picture of him. Because, like, I think too often we jump straight to he's a legend, he's a military genius, and, like, People, I mean, his men, his troops, you know, highly respected him and recognized that he was very much in his element when at battle. He was just painfully awkward <laughs> at all other times all in other his parts life. Of life. And so, like, when people try to glorify him, you have to think of, this is the man we're talking about. <laughs> 
like this very interesting man, you know, that is is completely separate from his battlefield ordering and the mythos around the, him. the mythos around him. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, old blue light, as he was known by some troops because of his strong blue eyes, um, was very much respected by his troops. Um, he randomly spoke words in Spanish. Again. Oh, God. Just the most pretentious. I <laughs> yeah. Can't. Well, and, and that'll, we'll get to that because he, he does serve in the Mexican-American War, and that's probably where sure. he got it from, but, sure. like, it's still kind of. That's the, the person who comes back from studying abroad and is like, I was in Barcelona. Yes. That's exactly what yeah. Beverly. That's kind like, of what's happening here. Uh, that's exactly what In Barcelona, they have wine at lunch. Shut up. <laughs> that's so accurate and so um i want to get to we have a prop i just need everyone have, to know there's a prop. Oh boy. we have our next prop which is a lemon um <laughs> <laughs> the pace at which we're moving <laughs> from topic to topic <laughs> so um there is like a speaking of myths of jack there is caitlin is cutting open a lemon currently um stop i can't and she's just cutting it open wild and free and just got it all over her. Like, she got into it and it's all over her hands. Like, I don't know what to do. Oh, my God. So, uh, Jackson, ja- part of Jackson's mythological kind of status okay. is that he's, like, supposed to be really into lemons. Okay. Like, a lot, I guess. And so... This guy, um, Michael C. Hardy, explains that Henry Kidd Douglas, an officer on Jackson's staff, told us that lemons were Jackson's favorite fruit and could be seen during the Battle of Gaines Mill sucking on one throughout the day. Oh, my God. Immediately, a small piece was bitten out of it, and slowly and unsparingly, he began to extract its flavor and its juice. From that moment until darkness ended the battle, that lemon scarcely left his lips except to be used as a baton to emphasize an order. You guys, I can kind of relate to this because I really like lemons. I am one of those people. I really wish I were with you right now because I can bite right into a lemon and eat it like an orange. I can, but I'm going to do it for Caitlin. Okay, so we're going to bite into a lemon. Oh, Lord. (laughs) I love too much. (laughs) Nana hates it. I could have eaten that whole thing. And so the, the natural question... I think is, how did Jackson get lemons on a battlefield? That is a great question. That is a great question. And so, I I mean, the article explained that, like, getting lemons from the enemy was a way to supply Jackson with the fruit. Um, In 1906, an old veteran wrote to Harper's Weekly, I remember a little incident that occurred at Harper's Ferry when Stonewall captured the place. He was receiving a report upon the number of prisoners taken when a soldier pushed forward a crate filled with lemons in his arms (laughs) and presented them to the general. Jackson's face beamed. My man, he said. My man. man. (laughs) You only joined yesterday. And if you don't do another thing hereafter, you've rendered mighty good service in this war. That's (laughs) so funny. The only thing you do your whole life is give me these lemons you've won. You've You've won. You've done well for yourself. And so people leave lemons um, on his gravestone today. That's incredible. And so it's so funny that that legend is kind of like debated. (laughs) I tried again. I can't do it. (laughs) Amanda's not having the lemon. (laughs) I would. Do you know when like the thing that parents do when their kids are really little and they like give them a lemon and watch them like purse their lips because it's like cute Uh and funny. My parents gave me a lemon and I was just like, 
great. I love this. <laughs> I like can't even put lemon in my water. Ugh. I love it. I a friend of mine in high school, she and I would just get them and walk around eating them like like oranges. Oh my god. Okay, so um yeah, people leave lemons on his gravestone. That's so funny. Um, even though that's not like a proven thing. Um, there's a movie that's primarily about Jackson. It's called Gods and Generals. Um Oh, you love that movie. It's I love that movie because it has some good battle scenes, but like it's definitely Confederate propaganda, like sure, for sure. sure. Um, and that it really kind of establishes that and it establishes um his kind of like fervent faith. Um, he is a very Presbyterian man, um, despite owning slaves. Which, you know. Well, is we what, I don't think we can really say despite because then it despite. was like part of it. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. And, and yes. that's, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, so he gets this from his first wife, Ellie, he says, and his faith was his defining attribute to many. Mm-hmm. Um, so the legendary military career begins. <laughs> Caitlin's moving now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jackson gets into the United States military Academy at West Point after another Virginian leaves and creates an opening. So quiz, what war did Jackson uh, fight in before the Civil War? Is it the Mexican-American War? It is the Mexican-American <laughs> War. nailed it. That is right. <laughs> uh, so this war is very much about slavery. Thank you. <laughs> America was expanding westward. The balance of free and slave states was off. Um, the, so- the South was looking to expand um, even further south into South America to um, get you know, more slave states and such. Mm-hmm. And more Southern land was vital to keeping slavery going. Right. Um, so did you all learn about that in school? No. No. <laughs> Probably no. not. We, I, I mean, j- we learned about the Civil War, obviously. But probably in those, like, very, very vague terms and the heavily skewed states' yeah, rights perspective. I mean, to be fair, you guys, I've been out of school for a few years now, so I genuinely don't remember what I learned in school. I currently teach the Civil War to my students, and that's yeah. not how I teach the Civil War, yeah. not the way I learned it. Yeah, the I- way I teach it now is, hey... They wanted slaves. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I ever heard anything about it until college, which is sad. Yeah. Um, but many well, prominent... we did grow up in West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. The educational system is and <laughs> Caitlin pretty in a, biased. Caitlin in a more rural area than even you and I did. So. Yeah. 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 And so many prominent Civil War generals first experienced military combat during this war, including Thomas Jackson, George Meade, George McClellan, George Pickett, um, Winfield Scott Hancock... And um, Braxton Bragg, and most famously Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant. Which, if you know names from the Civil War, I would guess those are the ones you probably know. Yeah, probably. Yes. Well, yeah. but you probably also know Thomas Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. And so, in, in September of 1847, one of his most famous battles of the Mex- one of the most famous battles of the Mexican American War was fought at Ch- Chapultepec. I've looked wow, this that up. Was, that was really good. Yeah, Apparently it is pronounced Chapultepec. That's better than either of us would have done. <laughs> you should hear me pronouncing the Russian stuff. Or the that. French. Oh, the French. Mm-hmm. I'm better at the French than the yeah. Russian, to be fair. And so this very famous battle, um, it, it was located at the Mexican Military Academy. And it is here that the 23-year-old Jackson set himself apart as an artillerist in battle. Bernard B. joined him there to repel overwhelming forces and apparently a shell rocketed through his legs. Oh? Whoa. Wait, the short one or the long one? <laughs> Thank you. 
I had forgotten that's just about a, that's the legs. Something, that's something we like to call a callback. Yes. <laughs> I had forgotten about the legs, genuinely, because so much happened. I can't forget. So, I can't forget. That's so weird. So much happened to me during that section <laughs> of this podcast that I forgot. I had to eat a lemon. I kind of forgot about the legs. <laughs> So after, and, um, so he's, like, really standing out in this battle. Everybody not is with, not, liter- with, not with a shell through his legs. <laughs> oh. Oh. People but, um. are flying away, um, and fleeing in battle. And he is, like, the only one that is, like, I'm here. And he disobeys <laughs> orders. Not to, surprising. Um, continue to stay in battle. And after residents were warned that if they did not surrender by a certain hour, the shelling would start again. Jackson received an order to open fire on the main thoroughfare filled with panicked civilians. Uh-huh. And he did so immediately. Uh-huh. He, he later said that he could trace the visible line of death his guns had made. Uh-huh. Then asked many years later if he had any compunctions about killing those people. He answered, none whatever. Ugh. What business had I with results? My duty was to obey orders. Boo. Yeah, he seems like that kind of guy. Very much. Yeah. And so we all know what happens when people obey orders. <laughs> Yikes is what happens. Um, Yikes uh-huh. on Mike's. But no one in the entire army of Mexico had been promoted faster than Jackson. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jackson later goes on to serve as professor of natural and experimental philosophy. Ugh. I don't want him to teach philosophy. That is not that what I was me. expecting. It, it's yeah. kind of, it's actually um, the, the rough equivalent of physics today. Um, okay 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 that makes much more sense yeah so it it includes astronomy mechanics acoustics optics and other sciences well and this is at the military institute right so it's in the context of like how to do a war it's it's (laughs) it's in the context of kind of like artillery tactics gotcha okay yeah and it was a difficult part of the 19th mid-century or mid-19th century curriculum many cadets found it almost impossible to master under the best of circumstances his students hated his course, and it was considered the hardest course of VMI. Again, that makes a lot of sense yep. to me, given the type of person that he was. His students reported when befuddled cadets asked him to explain some point, Jackson's answer, devoid of imagination or technique, was simply to recite back to the exact words of the text, which he had committed to memory and then rehearsed for several hours in the darkness oh the night God. before. Wow, been, he really is a robot. I've been rereading Harry Potter, and that is Professor Ben's, like the ghost history of magic <laughs> professor who just well, comes through the wall and he sits down and he reads his notes and then he just goes back through the wall. Yeah, very that. <laughs> At this point, Jackson's life is defined as a professor, church leader, businessman, husband, and community leader during the decade that he lived in Lexington and taught at Virginia Military Institute before the American Civil War. And so I think it's remiss, we would be remiss not to talk about Jackson's relationship to slavery at this point. Right. Um, I want to stop and just talk about how Jackson supported slavery and why that matters in regard to the Civil War. So while at Jackson's Mill growing up, uh, Jackson directed slave labor, and this was the largest slaveholding property in the area. Jackson owned six slaves in the late 1850s. Um, Three were received as part of the dowry at his marriage to Mary Anna Jackson. Uh, Little is is known of the slave who attended Stonewall Jackson during the Civil War. Jim Lewis is frequently mentioned in letters written by Jackson and his staff officers. Yeah, I've heard that name before. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but his life outside the Civil War remains mystery. Lewis joined Jackson in Winchester in November 1861, but no mention is made of how Jackson knew of him. His status as a slave was never explicitly confirmed in letters or papers left by the officers he served, but extensive research reveals that Jackson made annual payments to the one W.C. Lewis of Lexington, Virginia, for 
the, quote, hire of Jim. Okay. So he was paying somebody else he was, to use their He was, slave? like, renting a slave. Ugh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, so, and none of that ugh. money went to the slave. Oh, yeah, I, yeah you know, I have, uh, yeah. I have the money to pay for this person's services, but not to this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. I hate it. Yeah, I'm getting and so angry. he followed her as a, as <laughs> a cook and such. Right, okay. Um, and he would actually lead the um, procession, the funeral procession at Jackson's funeral. God, that bumps me out. That, ugh. Mm-hmm. I hate that a lot. Yeah, it really bothers like, me Like, so much. And so going back to that movie, Gods and Generals, um, they, there's this scene in the middle of it. I think it's the Battle of Fredericksburg, maybe. Um, there, There's, like, this very romanticized scene where um, he's speaking with Jim, and it's a cold night, and they're praying together. And oh, um, they're, they're basically... You know how people, like, pray, but they're really just giving a speech and their eyes are closed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They basically do that at each other about slavery for a minute. They're like, and hey, Jesus, here's my monologue. Were you ready to yeah, hear it? And, and yeah. that whole, like, th- that whole movie just portrays Jackson as, like, oh, he wasn't really for slavery. He just wanted, you know, this war to end. But really, we we can clearly see his track record does not show that. Yeah. That's a super common way that people who owned slaves are portrayed in media yeah. as like oh well they were but they were nice though but to their he, slaves but he, or mean, they they yeah. were like part of their their family and it's like no you enslaved people yeah you so they weren't <laughs> so no and that's inherently cruel so it doesn't really matter if you are not actively mean to them. That's at this point, at like, this point with everything else you've done, that's literally the least you can do is not hurt them. I, I uh, mean, he, he, there's no glazing over the fact that this is blatant Confederate propaganda. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, yeah. the movie is very historical, but keep in mind that it is blatant Confederate that. propaganda. Well, it's general American propaganda, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. And so we can't skip over that because people today glorify Jackson and still don't know the Civil War's primary cause. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the issue of slavery, the declaration of causes of seceding states and um, Confederate president and... Uh, the Confederate president and vice president all admit that slavery was the primary cause of secession. Yeah. They wrote it down. They told us and we all just went, no, it's not. It's it's still in writing. You can read it. The sons of Confederate veterans and the United Daughters of the Confederacy still propel the myth of black black Confederate soldiers claiming the war was about states' rights and their hero, Thomas Jackson, was a pious, chivalrous man. Right. Um, So (laughs) keep keep this in mind um, as we go forward. Okay. So the Civil War. <laughs> Caitlin, <laughs> Caitlin hasn't breathed, I don't think, in 10 minutes. <laughs> yep. So the Civil War. Um, it's 1861, and Jackson organizes the 1st Brigade of the Army of Northern Virginia at Harper's Ferry in January 1861. Harper's Ferry was where Jackson, Jeb Stewart, Robert E. Lee, all later Confederate leaders, stopped John Brown's raid, and John Wilkes Booth and Walt Whitman watched John Brown's hanging. Uh, I eventually i'm going to do an episode mm-hmm. on john brown who's uh now that we learned quite a lot about yes mm-hmm. we did yeah which is 
fascinating, but that's mm. a conversation probably for that. For another episode. day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so all of these people were at that event, and this is, I mean, the kickstarting event, arguably, of the Civil War. At least, at least he, in the area that he was Yes, in. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first major battle his brigade will see is the first battle of Bull Run, or in Confederate language it would be first manassas um this is the other thing about civil war and learning about the civil war is that the union and the confederacy called mm-hmm. battles different things yeah and i can't understand i can't keep up with so it. <laughs> basically the union was known as the army of the potomac and uh-huh. and then you have like the Conf- Lee's army, at least, right. was the Army of Northern Virginia. So they they label things based off of towns versus the Union labels things off of like rivers and geographical figures. Okay, things. that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So um, it's July, and we are expecting that this is going to be um, an, an end all, one and done battle. Everybody's <laughs> been hearing this up. Um, the hubris. Yeah, we're, we're going to show up and we're going to settle this war in one big fight. And we're so, going to do this on the streets. Yes. That is, despite us having fought a whole war yeah. in the country, that is so American to think that we oh, would just yeah. do that. We would just go and punch each other a little bit and shoot each other a little bit and be done. Well, here's what's even more American. D.C. politicians and spectators come to picnic and watch this oh, event. For the love of God. I hate it here. I hate it here. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I can't be here anymore. The Confederate army begins to fail, but sends reinforcements by train, and Jackson gives the order, charge men and yell like furies. The Confederates were able to rally, and the rebel yell was born. Jackson lifted his arm, and he got shot um, while praying. He lifted his arm in prayer, and he gets shot in the left middle finger. <laughs> um, that seems poetic. <laughs> that's that's what Caitlin was saying earlier. She said that has to mean something. That has to mean something. Whatever divine force there is in the universe oh. literally gave him the middle finger oh, while Lord. he was trying to pet. Oh Lord bless us. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to shoot you in the, the middle Lord, finger. The Lord said, middle fingers up, baby. <laughs> And so his men run forward screaming um this this new rebel yell. And, um, so you re- we remember Bernard B who was with, um, Jackson at Chapultepec and, um, he ends up becoming mortally wounded in the battle, but, um, not before hearing the famous words ah, or speaking yes. the famous words, there stands Jackson like a stone wall rally behind the Virginians. And thus the famous nickname Stonewall Jackson was born. Remnants of the legendary first brigade go to fight the entirety of the, of the war. Of the 6,000 men who served in the Stonewall Brigade during the war, by the time of the surrender at the Appomattox Courthouse, only 219 soldiers were left. Wow. None above the rank of captain. Uh, the results of the battle showed uh, 2,500 U.S. casualties and nearly 2,000 Confederate casualties. Uh, what this battle does for the Confederacy is it, it boosts their arrogance. Because remember, this is a one and done. Um, they think this battle's going to end. Um but they end up freaking the union out so much that they run into the picnickers from DC. They crash into the picnickers and it's a mess and everybody's running and everybody's inexperienced and they've never seen war. And, and somehow the Confederacy wins and they, they get super arrogant and they believe that they're superior and that their cause is right. 
And this makes the United States feel inferior for a time, and it really sets the tone for future fights. Right. And so that is how it goes for a long time. For a long time, because uh, you got to think that the Union's not getting a lot of major victories early in the war. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of the... We're seeing a lot of legends born out of this one battle. The Rebel Cry. We're seeing Stonewall get his nickname. Um, we're, see- we're seeing a lot happening in this one battle. Um, I'm going to kind of glaze over um, 1862. Okay, because this is this, po- this podcast episode is not about the Civil War. No. Because <laughs> no. <laughs> we could get into that. We could get yeah. into that. Um, just know that Stonewall has this massive Shenandoah Valley campaign. Um, he goes on to fight um, several, several battles. But we're going to go ahead and skip through to 1863. And I want... Yeah, that's when West Virginia became a state. Can yeah. that be a new thing? Yes. Can that be a new year thing? Oh, yeah. Great. Yes. So anytime somebody says 1969. That's when we went to the moon. Mm-hmm. And mine is 1888, uh-huh. which was the year that Jack the Ripper was a thing. Oh so God. now we've got 1863, which is when West Virginia became a state. That's right. Great. That's right. I love that. Um, and so at this point, I want to talk about his family. So um, his sister, Laura Arnold Jackson, has disowned Thomas Jackson completely. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> meme yes good for her it's caitlin's favorite meme currently it is currently my favorite meme you're doing amazing sweetie (laughs) he was perhaps more close with her than anyone despite being separated (laughs) during childhood however laura became a full unionist because you gotta think (laughs) all of his brothers and sisters die except for laura he is an orphan all of his brothers and sisters die but laura survives and she has disowned him she is a unionist she's my hero She runs a hospital out of her home in Beverly, West Virginia, um, which will serve the Union's uh, headquarters for a time. incredible. It's here that the Battle of Rich Mountain in 1861 goes down, giving George McClellan his kind of notoriety um, or his status. And she eventually moves to Buchanan, West Virginia on Route 20. Um... But do I you know where that house is? I do. I want to um, see that house. It's You'll across have to point a, it out to me. Yeah, it's across a fraternity. Um, it's oh, oh, we've had this conversation. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. The big yellow house. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know the house. Yeah. Yes, yeah. of course. Yep, that was her house. I've walked by it many times very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but I mentioned her in Beverly because it's here that the U.S. troops, under the command of General Averill, decide to capture Thomas Stonewall Jackson's troops. At her house. <laughs> that's get him iconic they're they are I headquartered love. in beverly where his sister is and decide that they're gonna capture jackson's troops that's iconic um but there, there's some twists we'll get to with that um of course. so drew this is droop mountain november 1863 keep that in mind um okay. and uh, another family member appears at this battle. So geographically, I don't know if you know the outline of West Virginia, but essentially the North, is, uh, the Union is in the North in Beverly. The Confederates are in the South in Lewisburg, and they meet up in the middle at Droop Mountain. Droop Mountain is a very tall, tall, um, foggy, spooky location. Caitlin got lost in the fog there a couple weekends ago. Um, very, yeah, <laughs> it was quite foggy, and I was nearly stranded. Um, but it's a gorgeous location in the Allegheny Mountains, and um, they are going to meet up here in the middle. Um, and, and then duke it out. And they're going to duke it out. And another family member appears as part of the story. Jackson's cousin, William Jackson. Our next quiz... <laughs> While Thomas Jackson has received the legendary name Stonewall, which becomes absolutely synonymous with him, what did they call his cousin? 
Ooh. You have a picture of him here for us. Is that him? Uh-huh. That is him. That's is him. it all handlebars based on his mustache? <laughs> I got nothing. His name is Mudwall Jackson. Mudwall. Ouch. Wow. Ouch indeed. He was, he was not exactly a favorite of his troops, but poor little Mudwall. I'm not saying I like him. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Poor little Mudwall. <laughs> that sounds like something like that their mother would have said about them had right. she lived. Right. Like, oh, oh. My, I'm so proud of my Stonewall. Stonewall. And, oh, sweet little Mudwall. <laughs> Bless him. Bless his heart. Bless, Bless his, his heart. heart. He's trying. Little Mudwall sets the scene for Droop Mountain, oh, um, of which West Virginia had been a state now for five months. Um, as we so said, super stable. Really going great. <laughs> really for great. Us. Yeah. Most people also don't recognize it as a state right now, so that's fun. Right. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. The fact that thousands of humans collectively traveled these mountains with artillery, wagons, and horse. Uh, horses all by foot is incredible. Um, keep in mind that this is a three-hour, very windy drive even today. Imagine right. walking it in the mud and in November. No thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. It, it turns out to be a very ferocious battle, actually. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to mention that because there's some family vibes as part of all of that, right? Right. And well, it, and that's that, what, just talking in general about the Civil War in West Virginia, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the story of the Civil War in West yeah. Virginia. Is, oh, is yeah. That brother versus brother kind of mentality. Very much Poor so. We're brothers. We're brothers. <sighs> very much so. And, and it, it turns out that these cousins were on the same side, but his very sister was a unionist yep. with a hospital, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. Um, the real hero of the story. Yes. For, she as is. always, the woman is the real hero of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, um, it's, so this is really like, this sets West Virginia, um, it, it routes the Confederates out of West Virginia and allows for the state of West Virginia to get a new government established in Wheeling, get up and running. It blocks them out. They don't ever really get a foothold after that. And it leads to, I mean, our statehood, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, I wanted to share that. And then why... So they did not capture his troops. Um, I think they they might have captured Lewisburg, but the Confederate army escapes anyway, okay. and it just ends up returning anyway. But was Jackson there? Did they capture Thomas Jackson? No, <laughs> because we're gonna come to the end of Thomas Jackson. But it wasn't there. It was not there. It, no, it was not there because he died in May. Remember. <laughs> right we yeah we mentioned that before wow so much has happened since then forgotten that fact and i wasn't ready for that so they said we're gonna go capture him but he had been fully dead for months he had been dead his but his troops are going and and like you gotta think the first brigade is like a big deal um Mm -hmm. like they are a very well-known the Stonewall Brigade is like the people you send to fight right. because they are very successful. Um, at least they're a very famous, you know, group. So um, Chancellorsville is the end of Jackson. So we're backtracking a little bit. Yeah. To talk about- we're jumping back to May, baby. Yeah. We're going to jump back to May um, and how Jackson saved the day. So <laughs> essentially um, some very disorganized, um, lineups are happening. It's it's an actual hot mess. Um, but Jackson ends up taking a hill, um, rearranging some artillery, um, and he he really ends up 
absolutely changing the route of the battle and makes it successful for Confederates. Um, and why is it important? Because Gettysburg is going to happen two months later. Gettysburg is going to happen um, July 4th weekend, essentially. It's going to mm-hmm. happen like right before July uh, 4th. Um, and he, um, yeah, they, they are boosted by that area. That arrogance is going to carry them to Gettysburg. Through, they, to Gettysburg. It, they are on their way to Gettysburg now. The uh, second most northern battle of the Civil War <laughs> to, Shre- to the Battle of Shroot Farms. <laughs> And and so he goes on reconnaissance in the evening, um, but he notoriously never let his troops in on his plans. I just very aggressively remember how this man died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) She's getting a flashback to like the eighth grade in West Virginia history. A month or two ago when I read about it with my kids. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm remembering eighth grade West Virginia history with Coach Frank Marcinko. Oh my gosh. And as he returns, he and other commanders are shot by their troops. Right. So I'm going to read um, from the um, R.L. Dabney book, um, Life and Campaigns, of Lieutenant General T.J. Stonewall Jackson. Tommy J., baby. It reads, after the general and his escort had proceeded down the road 100 yards, they were surprised by a volley volley of musketry from the right, which spread toward their front until the bullets began to whistle among them and struck several horses. This was, in fact, the advance of the Federal line assailing the barricade, which they were attempting to regain. General Jackson was now aware of their proximity and perceived that there was no picket or skirmisher between him and his enemies. He therefore turned, his, turned to ride hurriedly back to his own troops and to avoid the fire, which was, thus far, limited to the south side of the road. He turned into the woods upon the north side. It so happened that General Hill, with his escort, had been directed by the same motive almost to the same spot. As the party approached within 20 paces of the Confederate troops, these, evidently mistaking them for cavalry, stopped and delivered a deadly fire. Several fell dead upon the spot, among them the amiable and courageous Boswell, and more (laughs) were wounded. Among the latter was General Jackson. His right hand was penetrated by a ball, his left forearm lacerated by another, and the same limb broken a little below the shoulder by a third which not only crushed the bone, but severed the main artery. So, he has now been shot three times. Uh Uh-huh. By his own troops. Yes. That's that's the kicker for me. Yes. Hey, guys. What a goof up. (laughs) What a a classic mix-em-up. This was a real uh uh-oh on our part. (laughs) Wow. So, his horse also dashed panic-stricken toward the enemy, carrying him beneath the boughs of a tree, which inflicted severe blows, lacerated his face, and almost dragged him from the saddle. His bridle hand was now powerless, but seizing the reins with his right hand, notwithstanding its wound, he arrested his career and brought the animal back towards his own lines. He was was followed by his faithful attendant, Captain Wilburn, and his assistant, Wynn, who overtook him as he paused again in the turnpike, near the spot where he had received the fatal shots. Here, General Jackson drew up his horse and sat for an instant, gazing toward his own men, as if in astonishment at their cruel mistake, and doubt whether he should again venture to approach them. I'm gonna say not. I'm gonna say probably not. I'm gonna say probably not. Also, the dramatic irony of this is... Amazing. Everything. To the anxious inquiries of Captain Wilburn, he replied that he believed his arm was broken and requested him to assist no. him from his horse <laughs> and examine him whether the wounds were bleeding dangerously. But before he could dismount, he sunk fainting into their arms, so completely prostrate. It's from sitting up too straight. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he was so completely prostrate that they were compelled to disengage his feet from the stirrups. 
They literally had to drag him off the horse. They now bore him aside a few yards into the woods north of the turnpike to shield him from the expected advance of the Federalists. You gotta think, this is late in the evening. Um, There are troops just beyond the trees, and now there's a bunch of firing happen. They think the war is back on. Right. And so now he's getting shot from all sides. Oh, Oh my my God. God. What a disaster. And while Wynn was sent for an ambulance and surgeon... Wilburn proceeded, supporting his head upon his bosom, to strip his mangled arm and bind up his wound. The warm blood was flowing in a stream down his wrist. This is a lot. His clothing impeded all across its source, and nothing was at hand more efficient than a penknife to remove the obstructions. Oh Uh, my gosh. uh, Say less right now, please. God almighty. and, And I gotta get into, like, how crazy this is. Because we've gone through, like, this man's life. We've combed through the pitifully awkward <laughs> life of Thomas Stonewall but Jackson. But also, he's a... He's just... Go ahead. He's just absolutely ripped to shreds, he basically. Is literally ripped well, to shreds. Well, and he's such, a, he's such a wildly successful military man to die in the worst mix-em-up by his <laughs> troops is iconic. <laughs> And it's gonna get worse. So I don't oh, know boy. if we need the details. And and I won't. Because it's I, pretty b- brutal. Yeah, I'm not gonna go into too much more. I will just say that they pick him up. They they bring a a litter. Um, a what's it called? Oh, gurney. Boy. A gurney. Yeah, yeah, like a gurney. They called it a litter. Like a time. stretcher. A stretcher. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah. That's, so yeah. they bring a stretcher. Um, and they they place him on it, and they they got. You know, shots firing over uh-huh. their heads. And so they're going through these dark woods, and the guys that are carrying him trip over a stick. Oh, God. And he falls down. Um, oh, my and God. It couldn't get worse. And a hurricane of projectiles of every species it reads, um, <laughs> so that no, no living thing could survive her flying over this poor man. And the sufferer lay along the road with his feet towards the foes, exposed to all the fury, uh, to all the fury, fury. <laughs> That's um, how you know you've been talking for too long. <laughs> and yeah. so they are being just horribly shot at for a long time. And I'm pretty sure they fell again. Oh um, my gosh. And it, they would at this point. Yeah. And so they, the people that are carrying him are literally lying on top of him because he's struggling to get up. And they push him down. They say, "You're gonna, you're just gonna die here right now if you move an inch." Um, but you guys see, this fall actually was really what's gonna cost him. It, it's not even the three bullets that cost him his life. It's it's the wound from the falling. Really, he wow. ends up um, kind of injuring his lungs. Um, oh, oh, I and- see. So it turns out that he's now been dropped twice from a stretcher and it enters his lungs or enters his ribs and um, they get him to the ambulance and he's he's going to die on the way. He's not, they, they think he's not even going to make it and he does. And they, like to the hospital or wherever. He makes it to yeah. the hospital. They have to amputate his left arm. Oh. And he. Oh, ins- you do that. Come on. I, I, I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah. And That's like a pretty big part I of know, the story. I know, and I didn't remember it until <laughs> right now. The, well, and so 
crowds gather on the street as they remove him from the field hospital to a local house to kind of recover. And they gather on the street and watch and pray as, as, as this will go Gosh. on in this book. And it's a long journey. This man has had a rough time and he's going to travel several miles. Very, very torn up. And um, he gets pneumonia. Right. Of course. His, his wounds are healing, but it's the pneumonia that kills him. Because mm-hmm. he hurt his lungs. Because they kept dropping, dropping him, him multiple Oof. times. Um, but here's the weird thing. It gets back to just more weird stories about Jackson. They don't know what to, they don't think it's proper to throw his arm in the <laughs> pile of the other amputated arms. And yeah. so they give him, a, they give it a Christian burial. <laughs> and isn't it not buried near where his body it's is not. buried? It, it's not. That's buried, what I thought. It's buried near the, the field hospital. Arm but has its own It has its own grave site. Yes, it absolutely does. I That's like a super famous thing. About yes. that? Yes. I forgot about that. It's given a Christian burial. Um, and so six months earlier, um, Marianna had bore another daughter to um, Jackson, and he has not yet seen the child. Oh. And, mm. um, or, or has only gotten to, sorry, he's only gotten to see the child for like a couple days uh-huh. at this rate. And so Marianna brings the child with her to be with Jackson. This, you gotta think he's lost two other kids uh-huh. before this. Um, and so the, the daughter's brought to the bedside. The wife is at the bedside. You know, some of his favorite generals and things are there. <laughs> his, uh, his favorite general. <laughs> is it? Yeah. My his, best like, staff and such. His action figures of his My best, best. <laughs> are, are brought in to, to the sick room. Um, and they ask Robert E. Lee, do you want to come see literally your favorite general? And he says... No, I've prayed harder for him than I've ever prayed for myself. He's going to be fine. But he's not going to be fine. He's not going to be fine. And um, Spoiler alert, he was not fine. So after several hours of feverish shouts and battle orders, his uh, famous last words are, Let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees, which many connect to his childhood growing up at Jackson's Mill. Right. And so... um, Robert E. Lee responds with, Jackson has left his le- lost his left arm, but I have lost my right. And he will go... That's right, I remember He will that. go yeah. into Gettysburg without um, his most successful general, mm-hmm. and it will cost him. Yep. Um, so why does this matter today? What is Jackson's legacy? Uh, he's considered one of the greatest military leaders ever, even today. He's still studied, even though Jackson is even quoted saying he just kind of followed where things were leading and seized the moment. Um, author Lloyd Hunter, in a book about the myth of the lost cause, says Jackson is like Moses in the lost cause religion. Well, 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 and yeah, and so he he in that book he gets into um, how Confederate, their neo Confederates have built this religion out of the Confederacy. Gotcha. Uh, 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 mm, mm, mm. Cult. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it is. Let's a, be honest. Yeah, it's a culture cult, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he 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 talks about how there are myths and symbols and and you know all of the things you would find in a culture or religion out of that at, yes. in, in mm-hmm. the lost cause, right? And so in that lost cause myth, they say that Jackson is like Moses because he didn't get to see the quote promised oh, land. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, I mean, it's junk. It's, but it's a stretch. It's yeah. junk, but that's what he's compared to. 
And so following the war, Southerners have to deal with their grief, anxiety, and defeat in a romanticized <laughs> version of the South. <laughs> Sorry, I just don't feel bad for them. <laughs> I mean, no. And a romanticized version of the South appears. It becomes this sort of religion. Right. Um, Which is then why... Oh. It still exists. Yeah. The, yeah. Why everything that came after happened was the, that yeah. attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. as much as Robert E. Lee and the battle flag of Virginia are like these major symbols. Right. Jackson appears in tons of Confederate romanticized art. Until oh, yeah. 2017, the stained glass windows of the Washington National Cathedral had Jackson and Robert E. Lee on them. That makes me In our up. nation's capital. Mm. <laughs> That's where terrible. congressmen go. In a cathedral. Uh, That's the other thing. In a church. Yeah. We are very stupid. We can use stained art as a as a stained glass as an art form, but when it's in a church and you have a Confederate general in well, it, well, and I that just don't sucks. understand putting Confederate symbols of any kind in, in the nation's, nation's capital. capital. Yeah. Uh, that's this is a whole different discussion yeah. that I'm gonna get really riled up about if we keep having it. We don't have the time for that. So <laughs> and so, did you know that there are actually Confederate Memorial Days still held today? Yeah, um, gross. A- Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Texas and Tennessee. Ew. Um, primarily Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Yeah. Some local holidays are held on Jackson's birthday or death day. Yikes. Um, many of these Memorial Days are held around that. Um, they're, they're also around like Robert E. Lee and Jeff Davis, but uh, Jackson's in there. Um, state offices, including courts, motor vehicle departments, and museums, are closed in Alabama and Mississippi for Confederate <sighs> Memorial Day on Monday, a, an official holiday sharing a, li- a list with the likes of Christmas and the 4th of July there. Ugh. I just rolled my eyes so hard that they basically went into the back of my head. <laughs> South Carolina's day is on May 10th, the death of Stonewall Jackson. Right. Got it. These were started by women who were seen as never possibly being capable of being political and were just seen as mourners. And former Confederate soldiers never could have gotten away with starting Memorial Days because, like, they had to promise an oath and all that stuff, right? Right. So and all so, of uh, their, like, wives started all so these as their, like, pride, the, the, yes. these, um... Wow. Pet project. That is, yeah. yeah. That is such a capital W white woman thing. To do. <laughs> yes. I hate it. Yeah. And so they kind of are the ones that start these Memorial Days. Mm. Um, this is more for us than because you the listeners aren't able to see this. They preserved his horse <gasps> at VMI and look how haunting this horse is. Oh my Ew, God. I hate it. You I really can hate look it. that up. Um, the horse's name was Little Sorrel. It was apparently too small for Jackson. I was and gonna it's, say it's a little horse. And it's his small. feet like kind of like I don't know, like drug or something. Like it was like actively too small, but Jackson's boots were too big, and so she's <laughs> running around. That on man is a cartoon. <laughs> I really hate everything about that. And so today in West Virginia, um, it, particularly in Clarksburg, um, which is where he was born, which is where he was born, uh, we see lamppost signs of him everywhere. And all my life, um, I was taught in school, you know, Thomas Jackson is this like big legend and this hero. Oh yeah, and like. I don't know. There's so an absurd amount of stuff named for him in this state. Like, yeah, an absurd amount and of stuff named. Many for him. of my classmates believe that he was a U.S. general just because he's mentioned so much, but mm-hmm. he's not. And mm-hmm. I, I thankfully knew better. The parking lot at Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is named for him. I didn't know that. Yes. Oof. Jackson's Mill is named for him. Obviously, his family. Um, 
Uh, I mean, we have a state park. That's yeah, that's what I'm called saying. Stonewall Jackson. Yes, a state park. Um, Jacksonville is owned by West Virginia University. WVU oh. Extension Services and 4-H camps and dozens of other school events are held there. Um, and so the big question now is about his statues. Right. So um, there's a big debate right now in West Virginia about what to do with his statues. Tear them down. Tear them down. <laughs> it's not a debate. Get rid <laughs> yeah, of them. We're right. past okay, this. Yeah, so and we're, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, and so, like, in Clarksburg, the statue was actually built in 1951. And then one of the state capitol, which is 20 feet tall, Ugh. was built no. in 1910. Ugh. We all know this man died in 1863. Yeah, it's uh, a long time after someone. Says a long up time. Statue. And West Virginia Public Broadcasting reports that there are 21 Confederate statues in West Virginia, a state that had Confederate sympathies along its border, but actively chose to secede from the state of Virginia the than to secede reason, from the Union. The only reason we're a state is because we did not want to be a part of the Confederacy, so we should not have Confederate stuff in this <sighs> state. This is. The- I mean, we shouldn't have them anywhere in this country. No. But, but definitely not here. here. Yeah. Yes. A state that had Confederate sympathies along its border, actively, which actively chose to secede from the state of Virginia to then to then become to a part of the Union. From the Union. Um, well, because the other choice was to secede from the Union, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And in 2021, West Virginia delegates passed a bill that plaques and statues cannot be renamed or moved or relocated that honor historical military civil rights or natural disasters or accidents and Native American events, figures, and organizations without approval from the State Historic Preservation Office. Yes, they put all of that other good stuff in there along with that so that they, we wouldn't be able to get rid yeah. of his stuff. That's uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, Don't much, even yeah. get me started. Do not get even get me started on West Virginia delegates. <laughs> currently, it's a Cur- lot. It's currently a lot. Um, so the ending question then is, what do we do with the statues of Thomas Jackson? Tear them down. Tear them down. Yep. All right. Great. Caitlin <laughs> <laughs> said, "Great. That's all great, I wanted. That's all I wanted. Um, yeah. Pretty easy. I mean, I don't think it's really a question. Um, no. Be- because you got to think like we have to free ourselves." From this idea of creating Confederate heroes. That that cult of the personality of those people. We have to free ourselves from making heroes out of these people, out of making legends and myths out of these people, because it is like a religion. It's a cultural I mean, cult in the They South. were literally traitors to our current country. Uh-huh. So we, bye. We like, think, <laughs> yeah, we think about what he did in the Mexican-American War and shot all those civilians yeah. and with no remorse. We think about the slaves that he owned. Multiple ones. Um, we think about Jim Lewis, who he uh, rented, I guess. It's a horrible word to say. But, but that was but from, accurate for the time you period. Know, from um, another man. And we think about the horrible atrocities he's going to commit in the <laughs> war. Um, so, like, as much as we want to try to, like, deify him or try to make him this myth and legend, he's a funny man, but he's got some dark layers to yeah. him. Yeah. He's got some dark layers to him. And I think, yeah, we got to consider that as we think about what to do with statues. Because he's not the only one like that. We, we're dealing with this all across the country with Robert E. Lee, with Jeb Stewart. Like, I mean, we have military bases right now. Fort Bragg. That's insane like, to me. Yeah. That we have named military bases for our country after literal traitors to our country and our military. Yeah. Uh, it is a fact. There's mm-hmm. no arguing it. The Confederacy was traitorous. It was treasonous. 
And the fact that these things still exist, it's not preserving history. It's glorifying treason. And it's not acceptable. And and that has very recently uh, caused some problems. The fact that we think that that's okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. Wow. Yeah. That's um, Stonewall Jackson. Thanks, Caitlin. Really, really good episode. I, I know it was a long one, you guys, but there, like, Caitlin is very detailed and she's much more dedicated than we are. Yes. So th- you probably got a lot more out of it than we usually get from ours. Oh, man. I went through about 14 stages of grief in the span of this episode, I think. Amanda had like four panic attacks. I fully did. Um, I had to eat a lemon. I'm still thinking about that. We actively have a lemon sitting on this desk right now, just haunting us. If I were there, I would eat that lemon. I can't. Kind of sad I'm not, honestly. Would love a lemon. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. So fun. Well, everybody, if you have things that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future, I have no clue what the next episode is going to be. That's a little ways off at this point. Um, So if you have any suggestions or if you have questions or comments, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at RTTpod. Um, We're also on Facebook if you want to find us there. Um, If you want to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast, we would be very grateful. Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb, and I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Caitlin, is there anywhere you'd like people to find you on the internet? Uh, it's you, okay if you don't. Yeah, it's yeah. Fine. You can find me at Wherefore Art Thou on Instagram. <laughs> wherefore, it's spelled W A R E. Yes. Wherefore Art Thou? Yes. Isn't it the number four? Yeah, number yeah, four. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. We had a. Great Are you ready time. to do your first outro with us, Caitlin? Yeah. Okay. All right, this we don't know what's happening gonna next be time. going to be really clumsy also. So Yep, uh, let's try it. Okay. So we don't know what the next one's going to be, but until, until next time. time. Remember that time. <laughs>